thank you so much for checking out the Connect Church podcast. We hope you're encouraged and inspired by this week's sermon. So let's jump right in and check out this week's message. I'm grateful that you are here today at Connect Church, that together we get the opportunity to make much of Jesus, to honor our veterans that are here today, and to thank you so much for all that you've given so that we may be free. Matt, great job on playing today. It brought that song so much alive. Reminds me a lot of your dad. I love watching you play up there, and I know he's proud of you too. But man, what a good morning. It's already been. And, and I've got to give you a little bit more good news. You ready? Watch this. 48 days until Christmas. Y'all, y'all know that? 48 days until Christmas. Vols win last night. Guys, this is a good Sunday, right? Hey, do we have any Kentucky fans out there? Hey, y'all pray. At least pray over your husband there. Yeah, pray for them right now. It's just a hard Sunday for No, I'm kidding. Hey, it's so good to be with you. Hey, we're those annoying neighbors that we're all set up for Christmas, okay? All the lights are on outside. All the lights are on inside. The tree is up. I found this meme. I like it. Maybe you're here. I want to put up my Christmas tree and eat turkey while wearing my Halloween costume, right? Maybe some of y'all find yourself there, uh, but what a good time of year it is, and what a great day uh, to come together. For the past few weeks, we have talked about and we've preached through the risk and the reward of a generous life. I love this from last week, a a quote from John Piper who said this in relation to that, that you either risk your life or you waste your life. That you either risk your life for Christ, investing your time, your talent, and your treasure in Him, or you waste your life. I'm going to tell you something, believer. It sure would be a tragedy to get to the end of our days, to look back over life, it's been wasted. The risk and the reward of a generous life. You know, we also talked about really the greatest reward in all of this conversation is, is Jesus himself. And hearing at the end of our days, well done, good and faithful servant. I don't know about you, but I dream about that day. I think about that day often to hear from his mouth, to hear his words, well done, good and faithful Service, because here's, here's the deal. Without question, Jesus is my greatest reward. He's my greatest treasure. But here's a question I have for us this morning. In this idea of embracing the, the risk and reward of a generous life, it is a simple question. What motivates us to live a generous life? What is it that motivates you and I to embrace the risk and the reward of living out a generous life. You see, our motives really do matter. Hey, don't you know that motives are important? Uh, I love this right here. If you go to Cracker Barrel, you can find you a whole pound of Reese Cups. Hey, by the way, this is fun size. I, just in case there's any confusion, not those little. Anyway, this is fun size. Now, now listen, let's talk about motives for a minute. Let's just say I want to love my wife. She loves Reese Peanut Butter Cups. And so Thanksgiving's coming around. Just because I love her, I go out to the Cracker Barrel, and I buy her some Reese Peanut Butter Cups. Listen, man, my motive, I just want to love my wife. She loves this stuff, right? Be good to her. Well, let's reverse that. Let's say that I know my wife is allergic to peanut butter, and I buy her Reese Peanut Butter Cups for, like, Christmas, right? And here's the problem. The motives may be a little bit different there, right? And somebody might need to call the police, right? So the motives matter 
in every arena of life. And hear me, motives do matter when it comes to living a generous life. You say, Wayne, what, what is a motive? A motive is the very underlying reason for any action we take. A motive is the underlying reason why we do what we do and why we do not do what we don't want to do. All comes down to our motives. I love this uh, Proverbs 16:2. The Bible says, all a person's ways seem pure to them, but motives are weighed by the Lord. But our motives are weighed by him. It's like this, right? It means that God cares, that God knows the reasons why we do what we do. But here's the problem Jeremiah would teach us in Jeremiah 17, 9, that the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Hey, by the way, guess where motives come from? Our motives come from an overflow of our hearts. Therefore, that means that our motives at times can be deceitful, and at times, our motives themselves can be desperately sick, sickened by sin and a sin nature that's bent away from God and bent towards sin and self. And here's what we find out. Because this is true, our motives can be impacted on several fronts. So we must, as believers, living out generous lives, we must weigh our motives, especially as we embrace the risk and the rewards of a generous life. Now, how do we do that? Here's the way that I love to, to weigh out my motives as a believer. I love this prayer and passage. In Psalm 139, verse 23, watch this. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there be any wicked way in me. And watch this. And here's the prayer. Lead me in the way everlasting. Man, oftentimes I will pray this passage and it helps me to weigh the very motives for what I choose to do and choose not to do. This passage in prayer is a wonderful way for you to weigh your motives. Because here's what we know, you ready? That God is not fooled by our motives, but he does care about what fuels our motives. After all, Hebrews teaches us this in chapter 4, verse 12, that God himself, he is the discerner of the thoughts and the intents of our hearts. Meaning this, our motives matter. In fact, I would say this, living out a generous life, that motives are everything. In 2 Corinthians, Paul challenges the church and really challenges us to live a generous life. Fueled by, you ready? The right motives for generosity. You've got to catch this. Generosity is not found under the compulsion of guilt. Rather, generosity is compelled by grace. Generosity cannot thrive, cannot be found under the compulsion of guilt. Rather, generosity is compelled by grace. And we're going to see that played out in our passage today. You see, Paul addresses the Corinthian church concerning their generosity. Here's what we know. In 2 Corinthians chapter 8, Paul begins to focus in on their treasure and how generous they are with all the wealth that they have. You see, the Corinthian church was flourishing financially, but as we're going to see in the Scripture, they were faltering, they were feeble, they were failing spiritually. And so let's begin to take a look, if we could. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, beginning in verse 1. 
Paul writes this, that we want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God. Can we stop there just for a moment? What a motivator grace is. And we're going to find over two chapters that over ten times the word grace is used. It is the common theme. It is the theme on the forefront of these chapters and of the conversation of generosity about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. Now, now listen, Macedonia has some pretty good churches. You had the Philippian church. You had the Thessalonians who are in Macedonia. You had the Bereans among others. Hey, guys, these are some strong churches that God is using and that are living out generous lives in every way. But watch this. We know this among the churches of Macedonia, verse 2. For in a severe test of affliction, things get serious here. Their abundance of joy. Wait a second. Severe affliction, abundance of joy just doesn't seem to go together unless you know Jesus. And they knew him. Because here's what they knew, that our joy is not dependent on the situations and circumstances in our life. Our joy is dependent upon Christ Jesus, and they knew that. That is severe affliction, their abundance of joy, and their, watch this, extreme poverty have overflowed into a wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means. And Paul writes, as I can testify, and beyond their means, watch this, out of their own accord, not under the compulsion of guilt, rather compelled, as we're going to see by God's, by God's grace. Let me tell you something about the Macedonian believers real quick. The Macedonian believers were persecuted pretty pretty badly. Here's what we know about their story, that they were persecuted personally, they were impoverished financially, they were hurting physically, and yet they were flourishing spiritually. One author noted that the Macedonians, that the churches there, them being generous with their money was a visible sign of God's invisible grace in their life. I love how one author noted this, that the first believers in Macedonia were Jews. Now, why is that important? Because we know this, that they would have been victims of social and economic shunning, religious excommunication, and national disheritance. Any business ventures would have collapsed. Their family ties, their family ties, because of their faith in Jesus, would have been Severed. I want you to hear me, church. This situation is gut-riching. And yet, the church was still generous. Man, I look at that and go, how? Man, how is it that they could continue to live generously in such a gut-wrenching situation? And here's what we begin to see. I love this in verse 5. Hey, by the way, this is where living generously, embracing the risk and the reward of a generous life, this is where it begins. Look at verse 5. They first gave themselves to the Lord and then to us by the will of God. Hey, they first gave themselves to the Lord. Guys, the beginning and the sustaining factor of a generous life is that first we give ourselves to the Lord. I remember hearing the story of a youth conference that had met. Thousands of students had gathered together, and during that youth conference, they took up an offering. 
And so in these big old buckets, they collected the offering from the youth conference, and several men were tasked to go in the back and to count the money and account for the money. And so they, they counted and accounted for the money, and when they got to the bottom of one of the buckets, there was a, like a class picture of a, of a teenage girl. You know what they thought? Some boy out there in the crowd reached into his wallet and grabbed a picture of his sweetheart and chunked it in the offering bucket, as you know, us teenage boys at times often would do back when we were younger. That was until one of them took the picture and he turned it around. And this was the inscription written by that young lady. I have nothing to give, but I give myself. I have nothing to give, but I give myself. You know what's amazing? She got it. Living a generous life begins with giving yourself, your heart, and your life to Jesus. Investing your time and your, your talent and your treasure in him. You ready? That's what the Macedonian churches did. That's what the believers did. They given themselves to the Lord. And so then we asked, and what was their motivation what were the motivations of the Macedonian believers who were persecuted, personally we know, impoverished financially, hurting physically, yet flourishing spiritually? I love this. I love this passage in verse 9. For you know, again, the grace, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you might by his Poverty might become rich. Watch this. I want to read it again. That though he was rich, yet for you, for me, for our sake, he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. What was their motivation? It was the grace given to them. By Jesus, grace motivated. Grace compelled their generosity. Understanding that grace being the very unmerited favor of God. God giving to us that which we did not deserve. I've heard it this way. Grace is God's riches at Christ's expense. Grace compelled the Macedonian believers, the Macedonian churches to live generous. You ready? Let me put it this way. Somebody had died for those believers in Macedonia, and they couldn't get over it. And oh, to God for us here today, that we be reminded that somebody died for us, and that we never get over the fact that Jesus died for you, and he died for me. You see, grace compelled the Macedonian churches. And we find this, you ask this question, well, if somebody died for him, and here's your Sunday school answer, who was it? Well, they say the very Lord Jesus Christ, who the Bible says became poor. Now, it's important that when Paul speaks of poverty here that we understand what he's referencing. He's talking about Jesus leaving the throne room of heaven, all the splendor of the riches of heaven, and incarnating himself. You ready? God becoming flesh. And being born on this earth, watch, in abject poverty. You see, the inn in Bethlehem had no room to provide Jesus with even a decent or adequate place to be born. Mary gave birth to Jesus 
with just her husband. No access even to first century medical care. I think of Jesus being born into abject poverty. And I think of Mary laying on a straw-covered dirt floor in a stable. I think of Jesus sharing his crib with animals who would come and feed. I think of the abject poverty of a man who lived over 30 years in his life and as Matthew 8, 20 teaches us, never had a place of his own to lay his head. As Jesus neared the the end of his earthly life, as he was hanging on the cross, the only provisions he could offer for the care of his mother came through the kindness of of a friend that he had, a request to his friend with his very dying breath, John 19 teaches us. I think of Jesus before they crucified him, stripped him of his clothes, the only possessions he had left. I think of soldiers in Mark 15 who gambled for the blood-stained, torn clothes of Jesus. I think of Matthew chapter 27, verse 60, that reminds us that when Jesus died, he didn't even have enough money to have a place to be buried, so he was buried in a borrowed tomb. I think of Jesus in his abject poverty. I think of the fact in John chapter 19 that he didn't even have provisions enough to be buried in the right way, and so somebody had to provide the burial cloths and the spices for him. He became poor. I love what one preacher said about this. He said, from the splendor of heaven, Christ came to the squalor of earth. You know, we know physically Jesus was poor. But watch this. Why? What motivated him? So that you and I might be rich. And by the way, be careful not to make this all about money. There are plenty of people who twist that and try to make it all about money. Listen, money's a part of it. It ain't everything. He was poor so that you and I could be rich. Again, 2 Corinthians 9-11 reminds us this, that you will be enriched in every way, believer, to be generous in every way. Listen, every way means every way. Money's a part of that. It's not all of it. Praise God that you and I could be rich in every way. Aren't you grateful that there's more to being rich in Christ than just money? Aren't you grateful? I love this. As Paul enumerates in Ephesians chapter 1, verses 7 through 14, he begins to enumerate some of the ways, guys, nowhere near an exhaustive list, some of the ways that you guys and you and I are rich in Christ, that you and I know these reality of these riches. He mentions that we're redeemed by his blood, that we have been chosen, that we have the forgiveness of our sins, that we have the knowledge of the mystery of his will, that we have the message of truth, that we have the sealing of the Holy Spirit and the guarantee of our inheritance. And all of this, verse 8 says, has been lovingly lavished upon us. And there's more to being rich. The money in his grace, Jesus became poor so that we might be rich. Hey, by the way, there's your motivation. There's the motivation that compelled the Macedonian church, the believers, to live and to be generous. You know what I found? There's a lot of people who are guilted into being generous, and it never lasts. Like, they know they ought to. And so they give. 
because they know they ought to. Here's the joy of every believer. Here's what it looks like to be rich. That you and I are generous with our time and our talent and our treasure, not because we have to, but because we get to. In light of how good and generous God has been to us. When it comes to guilt, guilt can serve a purpose. You ready? In small doses and in small seasons. Here's what guilt can do. It can kind of expose some of the sin and the selfishness in our life. And, and it can take it from darkness and into the light so that maybe light will go ahead and kill it in us. But I want you to hear me. Guilt in large doses over long seasons will consume and destroy you. And you know how I know that? Because I've tasted what that's like in my life. And I'm in a room with people who've been trying to deal with sin in large doses and for long seasons, and you can't do it, can you? By the way, it motivates you to do nothing in that avenue. Guilt is the poorest of long-lasting motivators for the believer. You see, I look at the Macedonian church, and I believe this, that motives do matter, and Paul knows it. And that grace must fuel our generosity. The Macedonian church, they were not motivated by guilt, but by grace. The grace they found in an infinitely generous God that they served. They were motivated by grace. I love this in 2 Corinthians 9. It says this, that you'll be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, as Paul reminds us. And then this, in 2 Corinthians 9, each one must give as he has decided in his heart not, watch this, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. You, you ready? Cheerful giving is compelled and motivated by grace and not by guilt. You have to hear that, church. You have to hear that a generous life is not found and lived under the compulsion of guilt, rather compared by God's grace. I love J.D. Greer did this illustration about grace and about generosity. And he talked about a couple of, of balloons. Y'all have played one of these before. This is just a regular balloon, right? You blow air into it. How many of y'all ever played the smack game? You know what I'm talking about? Where you take a balloon like this and you hit it up and you have to try to keep it off the ground. Me, me and my kids play this all the time, right? And man, we love playing the smack game because here's what you do. You throw a balloon up, you smack it up as high as you can, and somebody else comes and smacks it up, and, and the job is to keep the balloon off the Has anybody ever played that besides me and my family? All right, good. I was looking at you guys. Like, what? Anyway, um, here's the deal. By itself, this balloon will never stay up. And so you got to smack it. you got to hit it. And if you're not careful, that's what church is going to become to you. That's going to be what every time you read the Bible is going to become. You go to church, you get smacked with, hey, go to church. Be the church. Give to the church. Time, talent, treasure. And man, before you know it, you're just being smacked around and kept up. And here's the deal. It works for a little bit, doesn't it? You go to lunch and, and you feel it, and then you go home and you take a nap, and when you wake up, you don't feel it anymore. Because every time you smack this balloon, it always comes back down. So, do, so does the very motivation you and I have when all we ever are is just smacked around with messages that do this and do that. 
Oh, but here's the big money balloon back here. Y'all know this guy, right? You only break him out for special occasions. The helium guy. And here's what's so cool about this. By the way, we love the Incredibles. And that's all Food City had this morning. So, that's the balloon we have. What's so cool about this guy? You don't have to smack. You don't have to hit. It just stays up there. Right? Like, just beautiful, right? Why? Because what fills this balloon keeps it raised no matter what happens. Now, what does that mean for us? That means for the believer that when you live out a generous life, and better yet, when the infinitely generous God lives in you and fills you by his spirit, what's amazing is, is somebody don't have to come around a preacher or a church or even a Bible passage and smack you around into generosity. It naturally flows from what has filled your life. And that is an infinitely generous God seen no better than when he gave his son Jesus to die for our sins. Guys, listen to me. Guilt may motivate you enough just to get smacked around a little bit, but that motivation always comes down. May your life, as the Macedonians, may your life be motivated and filled by grace. Therefore, you don't need any smacking around. You will live out a generous life. I read the story of a couple who back in, back in the early 2000s had went out garage selling back in 2007. How many of y'all go to yard sales? Anybody like a yard sale? All right, cool. Yeah, those, they got really cool stuff. Well, well this couple had gone and, and to a garage sale. Listen, nothing about garage sales makes the evening news except for this find. Back in 2007, they bought a bowl for $3. No idea what to do with the bowl when they got home, which is actually the conclusion of most yard sales. And, and so they put the bowl on their fireplace mantle. It just kind of fit there. And it sat there. And for years, it sat there until April of 2013 when somebody had visited their home. And they looked at that bowl and thought, man, that bowl looks a little different. There's something to it. And here's what they begin to find out about that garage sale bowl, which ought to absolutely motivate everybody to go to yard sales. Here's what they found. That the bowl was from the Northern Song Dynasty. That the bowl was over a thousand years old. And by the time they put it in an auction house, a buyer had bought that bowl for over two million dollars. So as soon as you leave here, find every yard sale on the way home, Man, just go find that bowl. Some of y'all going to buy every bowl you ever see, just in hopes. You know what's amazing? And that couple had no idea the riches that sat right there on their fireplace mantle for all that time. They had no idea the riches they had access to in that bowl. You know, I get to thinking about us believers. Hey, church, do we really have any idea the riches we have in Christ, riches that he has lovingly lavished on us? Do we have really any idea until we allow him to unleash those riches in and through our generous lives, the generous life of a believer who invests their time and their talent and their treasure in him? Guys, I'm going to tell you, some of us have no idea what we have in Jesus. The riches 
we have in Christ. So here's four challenges. You ready for the believer today? Number one, weigh your motives. Motives matter. Ask, why is it that I'm living a generous life? Or maybe, why am I not living a generous life? Motives matter. Hey, pray the passage in Psalms 139, verse 23. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there's any wicked way in me. And lead me, lead me into the way everlasting. Weigh your motives. Be compelled by grace to live a generous life. Don't find yourself under the compulsion of guilt. Don't do it. Be compelled by God's grace. Namely, as verse 9 taught us, that though he was rich for your sake, he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. What a beautiful picture of grace. Here's number three. Be generous with your life. Above and beyond your means. Just like the Macedonian believers. Watch this in verse 3. Let me remind you. For they gave according to their means, Paul writes, as I can testify, and beyond their means of their own accord. Hey, they weren't generous because they had to be. They were generous because they got to be. They were generous with a joy that only comes through Jesus and living out a generous life. And here's number four. Hey, realize the riches you have in Jesus. All the promises you have in Christ. Hey, that you're redeemed, you're chosen, you're forgiven, you're sealed. You have an inheritance in Christ. Hey, you need to just stop and realize how rich you are because of Jesus. This is a picture of Jim Elliott. I love Jim Elliott. I love his story. Back in January... In the 1950s, 1956 to be exact, January 8th, 1956, you see Jim and a few of his buddies, four and all, they found themselves landing their aircraft on a beach area right outside the Aka Indian Territory. What's amazing about this story is that Jim and his four buddies, they had given their life to the Lord, much like we saw the Macedonians do. And God, here's my life. And what God decided to do with their life was, man, to take them to the, the borders of this territory in Ecuador and to reach the Aka Indians with the gospel. Now, let me tell you a little bit something about this tribe. This tribe was stuck centuries ago. No modern anything. They were terrified of outsiders. And so if an outsider would step foot on their territory and they were aware, their warriors would go and kill the outsider. And talk about a dangerous situation. And yet Jim and his buddies and their families, they had a heart to reach the Aka Indians with the gospel of Jesus Christ. As they landed on the beach that fateful January day, they began to unload from their airplane. They were now in Aka territory. They had been dropping gifts to the people there, even had a meal with a couple of the tribal leaders. As they got off their small aircraft... Jim noticed two Aka women walking out of the jungle. Man, he was excited. Finally, they were going to engage the tribe with the gospel, and he ran to them along with Pete with all the excitement they could, and then they noticed on the women's faces that they were not friendly, that something was wrong. 
that something was off. Well, as they began to notice that, all of a sudden they heard a terrible scream come from inside the jungle. Shook them to their core, and they looked off into the jungle. And there they saw Aka warriors with spears in their hands, readied to throw. Jim had a pistol on his hip. The others were armed. But not a single one of them drew their firearms. You see, they'd made a commitment to each other that not one of them would take the life of an Aka Indian who did not know Jesus to spare their life of someone who did know Jesus. And so all five of them that day, with spears thrusted into their body, lay dead on the beach where they had landed. An incredible story. I, I looked up some of the journal writings, and this is actually a picture of, of Jim Elliott. This is his, his journal entry. Years before, he began to write about his experience, and I want to kind of read you this quote. You ready? He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. Talk about a generous life. Talk about embracing the risk and the reward of a generous life. Listen to his words again. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. You know, the Macedonian believers knew what it was to live that way. Jim knew what it was to live that way. How about you and me? Can I tell you something really incredible about that story? Jim's wife and the wife of some of the others and the children, within two years of their death, were living among the Aka people. Do you know that they had started a church and that the death of those brave men opened the door for the gospel and that the entire tribe of Hawka Indians came to faith and trust in Jesus Christ. You see, ultimately, a generous life will point people to Jesus. Let me ask you, are you living a generous life. Now listen, I'm not asking you to fly to Ecuador. I'm not asking you to land an aircraft and dodge spears. How about right here where God's planted you? Are you living a generous life in your family, in your community, in your workplace, in, in your school? Are you living in such a way that your generous life points others to Jesus? I'm going to tell you something. If you're only motivated under the compulsion of guilt, chances are you're not living a generous life. But hey, if you're motivated by grace, you're living a generous life so much so that you're pointing people to Jesus. Thank you again for checking out our podcast. Be sure to subscribe so you can stay up to date on our services. If you'd like to give to support our ministry, you can do that at our website. That's connectchurchpf.com. Hope you enjoyed and have a great week.